Welcome to Public Narrative, A Word with Jamira Alexander. I'm your host, Jamira Alexander, President and Executive Director of Public Narrative, a community media resource nonprofit based right here in Chicago that champions narrative change through workshops, training, programming, and research, building more authentic relationships between media makers, nonprofits, and you, the community. A Word is the chance to bring different guests on the show that can help us better understand some of the pertinent issues our communities face when it comes to public safety, education, and health. We're continuing our conversation on mental health in the community. And if you didn't check out the first part of this special series, and I hope you take the time to do so, I spoke with Kamisha Jones, founder and executive director of Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness, and Andy Wade, executive director of the Illinois Bureau of the National Association of Mental Illness. We discuss community building, particularly among black Chicagoans whose mental health needs in this city have become more dire since the COVID-19 pandemic. Equitable mental health access is top of mind for so many advocating in this space. And that access includes ensuring people are aware of what resources are actually available, Media and journalism can help in getting that information around, but what does it look like to cover mental health in Chicago? Wrapping up our mental health discussion is Josh McGee, an investigative reporter covering the intersection of mental health and criminal justice for Mindsight News. Josh, thanks for so much for joining me today. If you could share a little bit about how you got into this industry, let alone investigations. Uh, you mean journalism? Journalism, or? absolutely. Journalism. Um, I got started uh, basically in college. I wanted to I wanted to take credit for a class, um, and then my teacher told me, "Hey, if you if you take if you if you're an editor, we'll pay you money too." So I said, "Okay, well, I'll try that." <laughs> uh, and I basically started as an opinion editor. I would just write a column that would talk about the random things that would happen on campus. Um, you know, it started with, you know, someone dropping a plate in a lunchroom and everyone clapping, you know, those just kind of those things that bring a college campus together. You know, you all know that kind of embarrassing feeling. Um, and then I started taking it a little bit more serious. Um, I did a lot of um, graphic design. So I started to edit the newspaper um, and turn it to a tabloid, basically, um, styled after the Chicago Sun-Times because I spent mm -hmm. uh, summer... Um, at the Chicago Sun-Times back when um, the, um, the Chicago Teachers Union had its first strike. And I think that that really kind of drove me um, because I was, I, was, I was on the ground and I was watching something that I felt like would change something or people would, would always memorialize. Um, and I really kind of love the idea of chronicling Chicago. Mm -hmm. So you've covered, or should I say uncovered, disparities in the criminal justice system. What through lines do you see with the reporting around mental health? Yeah, I think they, they, you know, they're they're completely connected. Um, the disparities I saw um, whenever I would look at a criminal justice issue was, you know, most of the time, most of the people affected were going to be the black and brown people of Chicago, which make up a small section of of the city of Chicago. So I think um, what you really see from the through line is that um, when when these incidents happen, they they kind of they snowball. Um, and that's, you know, for the black and brown people who are already dealing with, you know, poverty or, um, you know, bad um, health outcomes, um, those things can be disastrous. Sure, sure. And so what does community engagement, um, particularly as it relates to community journalism, look like through your practice? You know, I think making sure that the community is heard and talked to. I, you know, I write 3,000 words and it sounds like I'm talking to six people, but really I need to talk to 20, 25 people. There's a lot of people that don't make it into the story, um, but their their ideas and their the things that they have said, they, they've 
formed the journalism that I've, I've written. Mm-hmm. And how has that practice like evolved according to whatever outlet you may work for at the time or project that you're working on particularly? You know, I, I try to keep the style and the, the ideas and the beats that I'm doing kind of the same for mm-hmm. most of the places. Uh, what they want is usually a little bit different. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's always kind of that same looking into what is the harm? What is the harm going to be? Because I know that the the outcomes, um, they, they have real life, um, they have real life implications. And so have, are you in tune with like how your readers have responded to your work? Yeah. I mean, everyone who sends me an email, <coughs> um, I do, I read it. It's, yeah. I don't necessarily respond, but sure. I do read it. And that's, I think, one of the most important things. Um, I think I, I took back from a reader that, hey, you, you were talking about um, law enforcement and their... Um, and how they interact with the community, but you didn't recognize that a lot of the law enforcement don't necessarily um, look like the community that they're policing. And it's like, okay, well, that might have been something I took as I already knew that. But when you don't say it and imply it out there, it's one of those things that the reader notices. And they're, they want to make sure that you know and that it's understood as part of your um, journalism and what you're looking for next. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with more from Josh. I'm Anna Valencia. And I'm Connie Lindsay, and we're your hosts for Joy in the Breakthrough. A podcast where we'll be talking to a wide range of leaders from different generations and backgrounds who have found power in being broken open. Tune in every Monday at 7 o'clock p.m. on CanTV Channel 19, streaming on CanTV.org, and now available on the new CanTV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. Welcome back to A Word. Josh, tell us a little bit about the uh, media outlet you work for now, Mindsight News. Uh, Mindsight News, we've been around for, we just had our two-year anniversary, uh, so we've been around for two years. Uh, we were based out of, a, we came out of COVID, after COVID, my, mm-hmm. my boss, my founder, he, uh, he had been reporting on mental health for decades, um, and he saw this intense kind of need for more coverage uh, coming out of COVID, so he went from creating a, a blog into a, a national outlet that focuses only on mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was the, one of the first journalists they hired, and my beat is, is covering that intersection of criminal justice and mental health. And so what's been uncovered as it relates to mental health that has even surprised you? Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the, the first stories I did was looking into um, basically uh, what happens when people are in crisis in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think the first thing I, I did was try to look at who's making the most calls to, to the police uh, for mental health crises. And it, it happened to be my zip code, 60619. Mm. So that was one of those things where it was like, okay, well, there's a lot of people calling 911 um, from in Chicago itself, but from my zip code. And I, I think that, you know, I know my neighborhood. I, I know the block that I bought my house mm-hmm. on. And it, it didn't seem like the people that I would think uh, would be having most of these mental health crises. But it's also, once I, I thought about it, it's okay, well, that's you don't know who's going to have a mental right. health crisis or who's going to need the police for something mental health related. Um, so that was one of the first things that kind of struck out to me was just that you don't you don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so Mindsight News, is it centered on Chicago stories or does it cover other geographies? Uh, we're a national outlet. Okay. Uh, Chicago is my home base. So obviously nice. Chicago gets a lot of love. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about talking about mental health matters with our fellow neighbors that can help us share more light on why it's important to talk to each other? Yeah, you know, I think it's just kind of 
starting the conversation, but, you know, thinking and looking around and trying to think of some of the reasons why you might have a mental health issue. You know, I think um, in journalism, we see it all the time where you might get laid off or lose a job. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about it as, oh, this might be a mental health crisis. But when, when you go home, you think about the bills and the things, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that can weigh on you. So Absolutely. I think uh, just kind of thinking about that will help start the conversation. Yeah. And so the data data matters a lot in your work. Can you break down the technical work of investigative journalism and what's your storytelling process like? Yeah. You know, I start with public records or data. Um, I, there was a question here. Um, basically, 988 is going to roll out the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is changing to a, a three-digit number to make it easier to use. So, so my question was, why would that be necessary? So basically, I got the call logs from the Chicago Police Department. Um, and looking at the call logs, I figured out directions, places, areas. Um, and basically, the South Side had, had a lot of calls for this. Um, and then, you know, from there it was, okay, well, how do we, how do we help this? How, we know that um, if police are called to a mental health crisis, there's a chance that force might be used. There's a chance that this might end badly. Um, and when I think about my community on the south side, I know I don't want that to happen. Absolutely. Um, so you start to think of, well, what kind of things can help this? Is, is there a hospital here? Is there some kind of crisis intervention team? Is there another way to go about this? Uh, but that all starts with the numbers, um, looking at this area needs this, are they getting it? And that kind of spins the whole story from there. Yeah. You mentioned um, MindSight even forming around the COVID-19 crisis. We found ourselves uh, at Public Narrative uh, launching a health project with Northwestern, uh, the Alliance for Research in Chicagoland Communities. And that project started months before the pandemic, months mm-hmm. before we were quarantined. So we had no indication that we were onto something and in even initiating the project. But one of the things that the project set out to accomplish was to connect researchers and journalists. Mm-hmm. In doing so, of course, we learned that there was a deep need for more capacity building among journalists as it relates to building uh, and, and even writing health stories. Can you give a sense of like, you know, you, you talked about navigating that relationship between community members, be it members of law enforcement, being residents around certain crises and such. But as a journalist covering mental health crises at the intersection of criminal justice, can you give a sense of like, as a journalist, where might a journalist really exploring those subjects, where might they start? Uh, you know, I think you always start at that, that community level. None of the stories really, they the data st- stands out, but none of it's a story unless I, I talk to somebody. If I if I haven't talked to somebody and felt the um, felt what the data is telling me, it doesn't really make sense. Um, I think you, there's a lot of numbers that I kind of throw around. And, you know, when people are reading, I do think they kind of, they hear the numbers and they see them. But, you know, it's one of those things they scroll past. What they remember is is the community member, the grandmother, who's calling the police for her grandson. You know, it's a, it's about talking to the community and figuring out why this issue is important, why these numbers uh, matter. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So with the, numer- with the numerical data that comes, the anecdotal data, and that's as, as we've emphasized with real people going through the real going through real things how does that impact your approach to journalism uh, you know i think you you have to care um you know i i write what i write <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting at a computer and i'm staring at it i'm looking at a blank doc and it can be for hours trying to make all of the things that i've heard make sense um but you know it's really about um you know talking talking and explaining um, these people when when you talk to them and you're in their home and you're in their space and they they open up and they tell you a little bit about the incident I think you know 
those incidents are they're like the worst moments in, in people's lives and they're willing to share it with you. So you have to be careful, you know, like you're handling something fragile. So I think the, um, kind of that, that motion of handling the fragile story um, and trying to make people understand something that everyone might not go through um you know that that's that's the whole thing <laughs> yeah it sounds like there's a lot of compassion that's needed uh, on behalf of the journalists yeah i think that you can you can tell that um in a lot of the the daily news coverage we see where people will put something out and then all of a sudden well this isn't completely true or this isn't completely uh what we were trying to say um but when you take a take a step back and do the long form kind of journalism, you get the chance to be compassionate, to think about how these stories should be told or how someone would want their stories uh, told. Um, covering the intersection of criminal justice and mental health, uh, there's a lot of times where the person isn't here anymore or mm -hmm. they've, they've left this earth. So you gotta think about how, how you would want their story remembered, even That's if right. it isn't an, an easy story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mindsight News has been around two years. What does the future hold? You know, I hope a lot more investigations. Um, I've I've got some good stories on the way that I hope people will be willing to read. But you know, I think really expanding out and kind of changing what people think of as mental health reporting, because you know, it's it's a lot it's a lot more expansive than than the normal things we're thinking about. Yeah, it, it's incredible that you all really center compassion in the stories that you write about folks, particularly as they're sharing some of the worst days of and experiences of their lives. How would how else might you encourage folks who might be a little leery about even talking to a journalist um, for, you know, engaging with community journalism. Yeah, I think first I, I encourage people to to research the journalist that's reaching out to them or the person they want to talk to, see what their stories sound like, see how they feel, see if that's something you want to be involved with, um, you know, and then, you know, finding that journalist and actually talking to them, you, there has to be a, a reason, a rationale. You should be forthcoming with why you want to tell this story or why you want something accomplished. Um, and I think that really helps kind of both people, the journalist and the person who wants to reach out to to get to get to the bottom of, of what we're trying to accomplish. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll be right back with Josh after a break. Hi, I'm Bianca Cotton, host of Behind a Confidence Smile. You are a wife, a mom, uh, entrepreneur, uh, author, and just fabulous, right? Join us on Monday at 7.30 p.m. on CanTV Channel 19, CanTV.org, and the CanTV Plus app. So Josh, from your experience of talking to all different folks connected through mental health, how can we work together to, do you think, to improve issues of awareness and activation around the subject? I mean, I think we're seeing a lot um, on the ground now with the treatment, treatment versus trauma, uh, treatment not trauma um, coalition. Um, but th those are people who have been on the ground kind of doing this for, for years. So getting involved with those kind of community groups that are focusing on the things you need. And, you know, what's important in mental health is it's making sure there's wraparound services. It's not just having a person to call them one time. It's um, knowing where to go, um, having mental health actual community centers where people know that they can go here when they need this or they need that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, getting that, that conversation going is, is really important because you never know when you're going to need it or what you're going to need. So what does the impact for your work look like? 
Um, you know, I think really changing policies, um, we, we know that um, communities need, they have needs, they have mental health needs, um, even across the country, we know that lots and lots of people are, are in need of, of help, whether it's therapy, or maybe it's just some extra food, or some money in their pocket, um, these things uh, can really snowball when they don't happen. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, the impact is, is making a change uh, for the better, I think, and mental health is kind of one of those things where you're not going to see the the impact immediately, but um, over time, you you can impact, you can change policy, you can change laws, um, and that can be very helpful for for the next person down the line. Absolutely. And then, what are your thoughts around um, impact as it relates to journalism as an industry? As we know, more information is needed about Black and Brown communities, but also policy changes or better services. So, what does that look like collectively as an in, as an industry? I think keeping some of the issues at the forefront. Um, we're talking when we're talking about black and brown people. We know that uh, they can the, the disparities hit us the worst. Um, so keeping that in mind when we're creating the policy, when we're creating the laws, so that we it's not always um, just this huge downfall on the minority communities. Mm -hmm. Give us some specifics around stories that you all have written, investigations you've uh, completed that give us a sense of the importance of community uh, building as it relates to focusing on black and brown uh, mental health. Yeah, so when I was looking into the um, the rollout of 988, I was focusing specifically on Chicago because, you know, this is our community. Um, but when I was looking at the call logs, you know, I was like, okay, there's 193 calls per day that are mental health related to CPD. So that's a lot of people in need and the only option they have is someone coming who has a gun or a taser attached to them. So kind of thinking about those numbers made me think, okay, well, 988, if it's supposed to help, how can it help? Mm -hmm. um, and when I, I looked at the numbers, I noticed one kind of glaring thing was that uh, most of the calls in Illinois, they were going out of state, which means someone else is someone mm -hmm. else is handling someone else, someone in crises in another state, and that means they don't know what community centers are sure. nearby. They don't know um, the language problems or barriers that might show up. Um, so when I was doing that, that's when I looked at okay, well they're building a community, they're building a call center for. Um, Illinois, and it basically is in the Chicagoland area. So once I saw that, it was, okay, well, what kind of options do we have in Chicago? Why aren't they getting the funding? Um, and bringing those to the forefront was what I wanted to do. Um, but looking back, we were looking at, well, what's bad when CP, what ha what's bad about CPD coming? And that's when we figured out that um, over the last two years from January 2020 to about June 2022, um, there was 147 times where police came to an, to a call knowing it was a mental health issue and they used force. And that's when the disparities we were talking about earlier, that through line kind of came through because nearly two out of three of those incidents involved a black person. Wow. And we start talking about when more closer to lethal force, uh, when a weapon is used, 28 of those were black people. 35 of those issues, um, incidents, ended in arrests. So these are all things where people are calling for help and they end up in a, in a worse situation and most of the time they are black people. Yeah. That that's so unfortunate. Is there a space where, like your the way the way that you spelled that out in that story, is there a space where that type of storytelling and journalism will help to keep members of law enforcement accountable as well as policymakers as it relates to caring for Black and Brown communities? Yeah, I think that um, holding officers accountable is is one portion of this, but I think one of the bigger things of what we're actually trying to do is make the response better. So you know, I think that looking at those numbers, hearing those numbers. 
members should tell people that there needs to be a change. Maybe it's the training. Maybe it's in the whole overall system. Maybe officers shouldn't be responding to this. But we already know that, you know, law enforcement in some cases comes out and they, they use force. Sure. So, you know, changing that system and changing how we think about it is what I'm really hoping to the impact is, and not just holding one officer who came and used a taser in a situation he was unsure of, um, is held accountable. I don't think that's the most important part. Sure. I think it's it's the whole holding the whole system accountable. Absolutely. And I appreciate, you know, your approach, Mindsight's approach to journalism and uncovering stories like these. I really begin to see outlets as mediators in many cases and lifting up the data and lifting up the information that oftentimes it doesn't go beyond breaking news and folks don't dig a little, you know, a little more beneath the surface to really understand like the trickle down effect. Effect. Right. So it sounds like you all are really exposing what it looks like if we continue in this direction and also looking to uh, create connection to um, resources and solutions. You mentioned the coalition. Can you mention the coalition? Early, uh, the the Treatment Not Trauma Coalition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're fighting for um, opening up mental health um, hospitals in Chicago and in, in the communities that need it. Um, we've had a lot of closures around mental health um, institutions. So just kind of getting, making sure those resources are available, I think is kind of the, the key there. That's excellent. Josh, thanks so much for your work and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. To read more of Josh's work and for more information about Mindsight News, visit Mindsight.org. And if you or someone you know is struggling with their, with their mental health and is experiencing a crisis, you can call or text 988 to access the service or find help online at 988lifeline.org. And make sure to follow All Things Public Narrative by visiting publicnarrative.org and following us at Public Narrative on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and X, formerly known as Twitter. This has been Public Narrative, a word with Jamira Alexander. See you next time. Let's do some intros. Let's good. Uh, let people know who we are. Um, I don't even know y'all well enough to do your own intro, so y'all can do it. Uh, maybe a one minute, ten seconds. Let's say a ten second. <laughs> one. Um, I, I, I say one minute first. I'm going to <laughs> ten seconds. Who you are? What you do? Maybe a um, a passion. Maybe um, a skill set. Okay. Maybe something that you love to do. Like if you thought about what your your contribution to the world. It ain't got to be your profession as much. But like, what is the thing that you bring? to the earth? What is your purpose? What is your destiny, your mission? I want people to hear that first. They can look you up, they can find your bios and all that, but I want, pe I want people to know who you well, are. Me. We can start here. I'm we can go around, let's go around if we can. Let's go ahead. Former gang enforcer, was blessed by God to be around great leadership like Minister Farrakhan, Jerry Butler, Reverend Jesse Jackson, mm -hmm. and of course my father, and of course my friend Larry Hoover. Yeah. Went from a negative to a positive. Mm. Was blessed to get a pardon mm -hmm. from a governor. Not because I didn't do the crime, mm -hmm. but because of the work I put back in the community. Nice. I've helped elect governors, became political consultant, like this brother here. Mm -hmm. Realized it was important for me to become the CEO of my own life. Mm. That way I accreditate what I do. Yeah. Right now, 
I was at the transitioning of power from that Jesse Jackson mm -hmm. was given to a young man from Texas. Dallas, yeah. I realized the transformation, like we were saying earlier when we was off camera, the importance of preacher's kids. Mm. You know, I don't know where the book, what's in the book about, uh, who's that Shaq, Rack, Billy Goat, and the other guy. <laughs> but I did see the power of the PKs. Yeah. And that was Jonathan Jackson, Brandon Johnson, mm. and Martin Luther King III. Nice. Right now, it's an honor to me to be around men to let everybody know that it's time out for us to be afraid of how someone feel, how we talk, and explain how we get through our daily lives. Perfect. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, I'm Wallace Gator Bradley. There you go. Perfect. See, I know you're doing that. All that. You're doing all that. You're doing all that. You almost forgot. No, I appreciate it. My name is Benjamin Alfred Junius. Um, everyone calls me Benji. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I love working with youth, um, specifically youth experiencing homelessness in Chicago, um, the age groups of 16 to 24. Um, and a passion of mine is really organizational development. So mm -hmm. I love taking the relationships with young people and going into organizations, serving uh, that very population and training their teams um, mm -hmm. to implement proper models of care um, to be effective. And so I'm happy to be here. Love it. It's a terrifying job. <laughs> it's 16, a lot of fun. Never 16 year old homeless kids breaks my heart. Just that idea. Yeah, yeah. Heart, Never a dull moment. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So my name is Jordan Sorrell. Um, story starts on the south side of Chicago, actually in uh, Bronzeville, um, Michael Reese Hospital. So mm -hmm. family came from the south, from Louisiana, yeah. and migrated up here. And so I'm you know, blessed to be with family that was business owners to social workers to educators. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been interwoven into everything I've done mm -hmm. in my life, you know, uh, from serving and helping community impact work to just trying to help build up other people um, as well, and that's currently what I do too, um, is work across three states to do that. So make sure that people have not only computers but connectivity, but they can use it for their everyday lives. Because mm -hmm. what I've heard is space, the service that we pay is the space that we occupy on this earth. And so that's mm -hmm. what kind of my mantra Say that is. Again, that's good. My, sorry? Say that one again. So service is the space that we pay for, right. I'm sorry, the rent that we pay, thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah. for the space we occupy on this earth. And right. so that's kind of just been the mantra right. of everything I've done with service, with helping others, and actually mentor. I was actually with a young man the other day, Howard University. Mm. Um, he's a junior major in, in computer science. I believe in giving back and the power of that as well. Okay. And so, you know, for me, that's just kind of my thread and what I do and when I, how I want to show up in the world because it's really about how do we take these large things to make them simple, but mm. to have a meaningful impact so that not just helping out neighborhoods, but helping out generations and, and others in the process. And that's yeah. kind of what you know, my North Star is on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You got 10 seconds. Yeah, ten, yeah, <laughs> seven, yeah seven seconds. <laughs> Easy. I'm, uh, first of all, I'm Daniel Ash. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me to the circle. I'm a father of three boys. Um, I begin there because that's been my primary role um, in life thus far, my most important one. Um, during the day, I work for a foundation, the Field Foundation of Illinois. Um, I have the honor of working there. And that's the latest journey on, the latest step on a journey that began when I came to Chicago in 1992, um, which is quite frankly to create good wherever I can. Um, 
that's been my obsession, particularly given where I come from, Youngstown, Ohio, which is a town that faced lots of hardship. Mm -hmm. So my life has always been about trying to try to change things for the better, particularly for black people in this country. Wow. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> well, uh, my name is Xavier Ramey. Uh, my day job is I lead a company called Justice Informed. Um, I think about my life and the way I introduce myself is more so about what is the intended effect that I mm -hmm. want to have in whatever room I'm in and what is the uh, sort of leave behind that is always there when I'm not. I'm constantly in this teaching space. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly in this teaching space, but I, I prefer to teach um, out of testimony versus mm -hmm. out of strategy, meaning that I teach what I've already done yeah. um, versus I teach what I hope gets done. Um, and it's tough because, uh, you know, I, I, I always find myself being in the space of being a bridge mm -hmm. uh, between people who don't necessarily see each other or even agree. Mm -hmm. And that's why my, my life mantra is very much that, you know, we, we hold each other, uh, we hold people as they thrash into mm -hmm. learning about people they didn't know they weren't choosing. Mm -hmm. um, and that as we do that holding and as I do that holding, uh, I'm constantly listening for fear and not to it. Mm -hmm. um, constantly trying to understand where a person's fear sits in their life, in their priorities and such. Uh, because I feel if I can isolate that, if I can find that, then I'll know what they'll ask me to concede on as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'll know what they'll tell me to pray to. Mm -hmm. And if we can move that over to ambitions, uh, we can really get something dope built. Yeah. My name is Reginald Edwards. You go, you all can call me Reggie. I just saw how fresh your shoes. Are. You ain't seen right uh, now. <laughs> I appreciate just it. Just right I, now, I, I just saw the fur. My bad. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Once again, my name is Reginald Edwards. You go, you all can call me Reggie. I am. I like to say I'm a social worker by trade, but I'm also a mental health therapist and I am a healthcare consultant. Um, one of my biggest models in life is to reach back and pull somebody up with me wherever I go, whether it's my career, life in general, talking to a neighbor on, on the street. Um, so many people have helped me to get to where I am today. So that's my life motto, nice. pull somebody up with me and keep on going. So, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful.